Coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, it is time to renew our couple's communication skills. That's right. As we are sheltering in place, as we're quarantined, you're probably having a lot more time with your significant other. And don't get me wrong, you love him or her, but let's work on those communication skills. Today, I'm going to talk about EFT, Emotionally Focused Therapy, this amazing therapeutic technique that will improve the way you communicate with your partner. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the demon dialogues. What gets you stuck in your relationship? Plus, if you like this episode and you have some raw spots in your relationship, please send me examples of your communication patterns of where you get stuck. And give me the specifics. Email that to contact at tonyoverbay.com. I will change the names of the people that send them to me, but I would love to take some of these and use them as examples in an upcoming podcast. It's time right now to make the most of your relationship. So that and plenty more coming up on The Virtual Couch. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to take a second. And yes, this is uh, this is an ad, but I, I want this to be a little bit different right now. Honestly, whether or not you click through my link or follow the referral code I'm about to give you um, is a bit irrelevant. I think for right now, with a lot of the things that we're kind of dealing with as a country, as a world, the, the pandemic around COVID-19, the coronavirus, that there are a lot of people that are struggling with some of their mental health challenges. And I know that because of the texts that I get as a therapist, that people are worried about getting into uh, to see their therapist, especially if they've worked on a lot of things in the past. And so I just want to encourage you to reach out to your therapist. A lot of therapists do have telehealth options available. I know that's, uh, I reached out to my, a lot of my clients yesterday, let them know that. But if you, if yours doesn't, or if you um, are really, I don't know, maybe this is the thing that has caused you to feel like you really do want to talk to somebody or you are having maybe an extra bit of anxiety or uh, depression has kind of kicked in, then online therapy really is, um, it does work. And so uh, go to betterhelp.com if you want, betterhelp.com slash virtual couch to get 10% off your first month. Again, I hope you can tell that the last thing I want to do is sound like I'm trying to capitalize on this, but I feel like um, betterhelp.com has been an amazing partner and I get feedback uh, regularly of people that didn't realize that uh, the world of online counseling could be as beneficial as it could be. So um, just just head over there if you want the 10% off your first month. You can use uh, my code, thebetterhelp.com slash virtual couch. But regardless, just uh, if you really need help, online counseling is there and they have an amazing assessment tool to get you matched up to the right person. And obviously, you don't have to leave your home. You can do it uh, video. You can do phone. They do text, email, that sort of thing. And there's uh, it's available worldwide. So let me just kind of end it there. And uh, if you need the help, please either please reach out to your own therapist, see if they're still um, working with people, whether it's, uh, you know, over the phone or telehealth, teletherapy. And if you, if you're really struggling with some uh, mental health issues or anxiety, depression, that sort of thing, then at least give betterhelp.com uh, a try as well. And again, if you feel like it, betterhelp.com slash virtual couch gives you 10% off the first month. Um, but all right. Hey, I wish you all the best and, uh, and uh, you know, let's get to today's show. Thanks. to episode 195 of the virtual couch a little bit of a different opening today because i just finished walking around my building why because i just recorded about 20 to 25 minutes of 
what I would like to have thought would have been couples podcasting gold, only to find out that the microphone was not recording. So uh, just walked off a little bit of frustration, nice mindfulness moment, and I'm back. So welcome to episode 195 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, and co-author of the book, He's a Porn Addict. Now what? A, uh, an expert and a former addict answer your questions. And I'm also very excited to announce the release of my free, absolutely free parenting course, Tips for Parenting Positively, Even in the Not-So-Positive of Times. There, I will help you understand why it can be so difficult to communicate with and understand these tiny and not-so-tiny humans that play such a major role in your happiness and well-being. That's your children. You'll learn how to keep your buttons hidden, how to genuinely give praise that will truly build inner wealth in your child or your teen or even your adult child. And you'll learn how to move from being the punisher to being somebody that your children will want to go to when they need help. Again, that program is absolutely free. Just go to TonyOverbay.com and you'll see a link to courses and click on the courses link or you can go to TonyOverbay.com slash courses, C-O-U-R-S-E-S and sign up there and you will get immediate access. It's six videos. It's an hour's worth of content and it is based on the Nurtured Heart Parenting model, which is a model that I learned many, many years ago that changed the way that I parent and has also changed the way that I work with, especially teenagers in my office, in my practice. So again, TonyOverbay.com slash courses and that is a free parenting program. I just highly encourage you to get that, share that, share it on social media, share it with your your uh, your your wards, your congregations, your um, Facebook groups, your, share it on Instagram, please. It's it's absolutely free. And with kids in our home right now, with the shelter in place order and quarantining, I'm hearing more and more emails and people that come into my office that are struggling with parenting. And so this is a model that works. You'll come out of there in an hour and have tools that you can you can readily apply and uh, and feel better about your parenting. And um, please visit Virtual Couch on Instagram. You can also find Tony Overbay, Licensed Marriage Family Therapist on Facebook. If you have a moment and you've liked any content in the Virtual Couch podcast, do me a huge favor. And if you can just uh, leave a quick review wherever you subscribe to your podcast, that would that would just be a, an amazing thing. It would uh, I would be forever in your debt. And I still make this offer that if you shoot me an email at contact at TonyOverbay.com and, and just send a link or a, a screenshot of the review, I will shoot you a highly coveted virtual couch sticker or magnet. So today's episode, and I'm going to go back to this again, I recorded about 20 or 25 minutes of this earlier, but it's about couples communication. And I realized the other day as I was taking on a new client that I was wanting to give them some information on couples therapy and on couples communication, especially this model that I absolutely love and adore, Emotionally Focused Therapy or EFT. And I I started looking back in the podcast archives and realized I haven't done anything on couples communication or EFT in quite a while. It's been several months. And if I go back and look at data, which sometimes I like to do, the podcast numbers overwhelmingly favor when I talk about couples communication or parenting or working with narcissism for some reason. Those are those are kind of the top uh, downloads or or when you can you actually see these analytics of that show how long people tune in or stay tuned into a podcast episode. So today's episode is it's it is for couples, but if you're not in a relationship, I still feel like the EFT model is something that will do you some good. I think it's a great way to communicate in general. And uh, and I think it's time to, to, to really address this, change the way we communicate. It's time, as Stephen Covey says, to seek first to understand before being understood. That is one of the most basic principles that I want to convey when it comes to communicating, especially with your partner, your spouse, actually with anybody. And when we go in and we say, hey, here's what I want you to know, 
we've got a couple of things now that are going on. I did a podcast episode a few weeks ago on psychological reactants. If you haven't heard that, please go find that episode. It doesn't sound very exciting, reactants, but it is one of the most common or one of the key words that I feel like I have learned in the last five years of therapy and that is just, it's, it's ever present. Psychological reactants is the instantaneous negative response to being told what to do. So if we look at when you go even to your partner and say, hey, I just want you to know something. I want you to know that what you just said hurts me. All right, let's kind of start there. Immediately, and and bless your heart for wanting to kind of speak your truths, but when you go to someone and say, I want you to know that what you have done hurts me, there's a lot of things going on. First of all, you've got this psychological reactance going, I want you to know. Our brains, when we hear, I want you to fill in the blank, we immediately have this psychological reactance. We have this instantaneous reaction this negative reaction to being told what to do. If somebody's saying, I want you to know this, our brain's saying, well, I don't want to know it. Or if we're saying, I want you to do this, our brain's saying, I don't want to do it. And and if you look at the research around reactants in general, it is this innate kind of thing that is within us that is that is there to so that we can preserve our freedom, preserve our right to choose. It preserves our, uh, it protects us from being dominated by an alpha male or a, a society that wants to do us harm. So we have this psychological reactance built in in the first place. The second thing that's going on is when somebody says, hey, I, I don't like what you did. Our brains are designed, this, this part of our brain called the amygdala, which is, it contains or controls all of our emotions. Our amygdala, when it, when it feels like it is being attacked, our amygdala, uh, it, it, it shoots out cortisol, this stress hormone. And when cortisol is secreted in our brain, our prefrontal cortex or the place where we have rational thought, it starts to shut down. You can watch it with a nice functional brain scan where when, when the amygdala is charged, when you are starting to go into this fight, flight, or freeze mode, the front, the, the logical part of your brain shuts down. It thinks that's what it's supposed to do. So look at this already. The game is rigged when we go to somebody and say, you need to do this, or I want you to do this, or I can't believe you did this, is that immediately we've got reactants, we've got the amygdala, we've got the prefrontal cortex shutting down. So, so how do we overcome that? I really feel like the key is this emotionally focused therapy or EFT. And so a quick review. It's been a little while. So a quick review. What is emotionally focused therapy? EFT. And this is from the International Center for Excellence in Emotionally Focused Therapy website uh, or ICEEFT.com. EFT is a structured approach to couples therapy. It was formulated in the 1980s and it's developed alongside the science on adult attachment and bonding to expand our understanding about what is happening in a couple's relationship. And it's there to help guide therapists and it helps us help people communicate more effectively. And I want you to know your EFT muscles do not come from the factory. We, we're, we're naturally programmed to not only seek attachment, but also to protect ourselves. So, so that is a very mixed combination. So I don't want you to feel like if this isn't something that you do naturally, that there's anything wrong with you. So in the last 15 years, um, Dr. Sue Johnson and her colleagues, Dr. Sue Johnson's with the founder of Emotionally Focused Therapy, but they have further developed and refined this model and they've completed numerous studies on emotionally focused therapy. EFT is used with families, it's used with individuals, and uh, again, according to the ICEEFT website, a substantial body of research outlining the effectiveness of EFT now exists, and research studies find that 70 to 75% of couples move from distress to recovery and approximately 90% show significant improvements. And, and I will stand behind that every day of the week. I see 15 to 20 couples a week. And, and I will tell you that when the EFT model is in place, even if the relationship is strained, it is a much more effective way to communicate. 
and that you can go from like uh, like the research shows from distress to recovery, but 90% show significant improvements. So Dr. Johnson, Dr. Sue Johnson says that unhappy couples always tell her that they fight over, and I call it the big three, we've got money, parenting, or sex. She said, they tell me they can't communicate and the solution is that that their partner has to change. And let me testify to that. As a marriage therapist, I feel often, not often, almost always, and I'm not a big all or nothing person, but then when people come into my office, what they essentially want to do is lay out their cases and as if they have just come before a judge. And they want me to judge who is right as if the other person will hear my verdict and then say, okay, I I will give in to all of my wants, desires, and, and needs to be heard. And it's not that simple. Um, she goes on to say that, again, it's the solution is that people feel like their partner has to change. She gives the example, if Mary would just not get so emotional and listen to my arguments about our finances and the kids, we would get somewhere. That's what Brian tells Dr. Sue Johnson. And, and uh, then Mary would say in that scenario, well, if Brian would talk more and not just walk away, we wouldn't fight. I think we're just growing apart, says Mary. So after doing couples therapy for over 25 years and couples research studies, uh, Dr. Sue Johnson says that in this scenario, both Mary and Tim are just seeing the tip of the iceberg. That submerged below is this massive real issue. Both partners feel emotionally disconnected. And that is what I see walk in, into my office again on almost a daily basis. She says that they're watching their backs, that they're feeling criticized, they're feeling shut out, they're feeling alone. And underneath all of the loud arguments and silences, here's what partners are asking each other, the key questions in the drama of love. And I, oh, I believe this, I see this every day. They're asking each other, are you there? for me? Do do I and my feelings matter to you? Will you respond to me when, when I need you? In essence, they're saying, do, do you love me? Do you have my back? And, and I know there's a, I'm not even going to call it controversy because I love this phrase. And, you know, is, are you my person? Are you there for me? Can I count on you? When Can I go out and, and, you know, fight the dragons that are in front of me in my day-to-day life and know that I can do that and come back to a safe and secure attachment, a safe place where I can process things? She says, Dr. Sue Johnson says, the answer to these questions, these questions that are so hard to ask and so hard to hear in the heat of a fight make the difference between emotional safety and emotional peril and starvation. Um, Dr. Johnson says, we know all the hundreds of studies on love that have emerged during the past decade, that emotional responsiveness is what makes or breaks love relationships. Happy, stable couples can quarrel and fight, but they also know how to tune into each other and to restore emotional connection after a clash. So, and and I love the, the next phrase. She says that our loved one is supposed to be our shelter in life. So when this person is unavailable and unresponsive, then we are assailed by what she calls a tsunami of emotions. And this is true. When we turn to our partner and we are saying, are you there for me? Then, and and our partner is not there for us. Our partner is either shut down or withdrawn or our partner responds with anger and not empathy. Then we have all of these emotions, sadness, anger, hurt, and above all, fear. And this fear, again, is wired in. Being able to rely on a loved one to know that he or she will answer our call, this is is an an innate survival code. Um, Dr. Johnson says that research is clear. When we sense that a primary love relationship is threatened, we go into a primal panic. That is such a key statement. When we feel that our primary love relationship is threatened, we go into a primal panic. And then we are going to respond however it is that we feel that we can get our needs met or that we can be heard. Sometimes that is withdrawal, thinking that our partner will pursue. Sometimes we respond big with anger because that's the only time we can get our partner to respond. Sometimes we just sit there and we don't say a word because we think 
man, once the storm of this, uh, this argument's over, then maybe we can connect. And she says that the new science of love and loving has been evolving for over a decade. And, and she goes on to say that as we are now into this 21st century, we finally now know what love is about and how it works. She says, here's what we've learned, that the need we have as children to be able to call to a special one and know that this person will respond with reassurance and comfort never goes away. And, and I like to frame it as this. We are born these little pink, squishy babies that are relying upon our moms and, and for, for safety, for survival, for food, for sustenance. And, and we just need to understand that doesn't go away. That's, that's, that's wired into us. We have this desire for attachment. She said this longing for this, this is wired into our brains from the cradle to the grave. And our brains are wired to see emotional isolation as dangerous. And so when we feel like we are about to be emotionally isolated, it sends this panic signal when we can't get a loved one to respond. And if we can't reconnect, we either shut down or we get demanding. So think about that. When we can't connect to our partner, and our partner is supposed to be this, this shelter, our shelter in life, then we respond by either shutting down or we get demanding. And both of these strategies can backfire and they actually push that person away. And, and when we have that special closeness to a loved one, and she even says, Dr. Johnson says, whether it's while making love or just holding each other, we are flooded with a cuddle hormone called oxytocin. And oxytocin is only found in animals that are monogamous when they mate. Oxytocin gives us this, this sense of calm joy while also tamping down our stress hormones. I talked about this stress hormone, cortisol, early on in this episode, but oxytocin then actually not only, again, gives us a sense of calm joy, but it tampens down our stress hormone. It tampens down that cortisol. So then conflicts about kids or sex or money don't make or break a relationship. What really matters is this emotional connection. Are you there for me? Can I count on you? Do you have my back? Do you love me? Um, underneath this d discord... Uh, Dr. Johnson says, the real issue is that partners are questioning the security of their bond. Again, are you there for me? Can I count on you? Will you put me first? So when couples understand the fundamental issue, they can help each other reconnect. Uh, then problems about the kids or sex or money or are there just differences? They're not relationship bombs. Let that one sink in. They're just differences. One of the things that I love is when EFT is flowing through a couple's veins, then when you have a, a, uh, a negative or an argument about parenting with EFT, it's like, hey, tell me more. Tell me about the way that you were parented growing up. I want to know everything. Think about that. So I want to know how you were raised. I want to know how your parents handled things. I want to know how you anticipated reacting as a parent. And, and I want, you know, I'm your, I'm your spouse. I want to hear this. And I want you to feel like you have, you have been able to just speak and, and have your mind heard. And I have not told you, well, that's ridiculous. Or why would you think that? Or that's, that's silly. Because what's the point of those kind of comments? When you're asking someone, hey, what do you think? And someone starts to share their opinion and you say, I can't believe you said that. Or that's ridiculous. What are you trying to do? You know, you're not encouraging this communication that is going to be open. And, and our goal is if I'm going to ask my partner a question, I want to hear from them. And guess what? They want to be heard. We want to be heard. We want to be cared for. We want to know that we matter. So Dr. Johnson says there's only three ways to deal with our sense of impending loss and isolation. She said, if we are in a happy, basically secure union, we accept the need for emotional connection and we speak these needs directly in a way that helps our partner respond lovingly. Let me throw out a couple of just the things that I like to say. When I'm working with a couple and I'm trying to teach EFT or emotionally focused therapy, I say there's a couple of things that we need to start with. Number one, we need to start with no one woke up this morning and thought, how can I hurt my partner? And, and let, me, let me explain why that is so key. 
if if you're going to your partner and you find yourself wanting to say, well, they should know by now. They should know by now what I expect of them. So if your partner is not doing something that you feel that they should know or that you feel that that you expect from them, if they're not doing it, then we need to take that out of the, the equation of they're just doing this to hurt me. Let me just give an easy example. Let's say, for example, it is trash day and your job as husband is to put the trash out. Your wife wakes up and notices that you did not put the trash out before you left for work. A lot of times she'll immediately get angry. I mean, she would get angry and say, I can't believe he didn't. I can't believe he didn't take the trash out. But as simple as this sounds in the EFT model, the assumption is he didn't say, you know what? Forget, forget her. I know what I can do today. I'll not take the trash out. Look at how quickly that whole concept, that conversation changes when you make the assumption that he didn't do that to hurt you. So when that conversation is had later on, hey, tell me about your morning. Guy says, I don't know, I had a whole lot on my mind. You know, I, I woke up today and I had this alert from the uh, uh, from the bank and it said that we were in the negative and I knew that I had to hurry up and get to work and I had to put some checks in and I had to move some money around and I just got so stressed because I worry about our finances. You know, here's that seek first to understand. Then the wife maybe is going to understand, wow, he had a whole lot on his mind. You know, if he comes home and she said, Hey, um, you forgot to take the trash out. What's the deal? You know, immediately now he's going to be in fight or flight. He's going to be like, I, okay, I mean, do you think that I meant to do that? Or, you know, and, and then we've got this argument where instead, if she's saying, Hey, I took the trash out today or, um, or Hey, I noticed that we didn't get a, you know, the trash didn't get taken out. Um, maybe we can go find a dumpster. I don't know what the answer to that would be. Or, Hey, we just need to be really aware this week that we're not going to have as much room in the garbage can. Then that is going to be a much more. Now the guy might say, Oh my gosh, I totally forgot. I had so much on my mind. And, and it's a, uh, Hey, no worries. You know, we're in this together. It's trash. We're going to be okay. Where I feel like a lot of times people would say, I can't believe he didn't take the trash out. I need to let him know how bad that is. Well, he knows. I mean, he, that wasn't his goal this, that morning to get up and, and I, again, I'll tell you what I can do. I will forget to take out the trash. So it's coming from a much more empathetic place. And it's coming from a place of where, um, hey, we're in this together. We, we are designed to become this dyadic union so we can go and take on the day and, and have all of our ups and downs and know that we have a safe, secure place to come back home and process things. So um, let me get into the, the, what uh, Sue Johnson calls the demon dialogues. So she says that in, in a wobbly relationship, um, we're not quite sure how to voice our needs. So typically we either angrily demand and try to push our partner into responding. Think about that. Or we shut down and we move away to protect ourselves. So no matter the exact words we use, what we're really saying is notice me. I mean, there is nothing more clear at times in marriage therapy than people just, that's what they're saying. Notice me, be with me. I need you, you know, care about me, put me first. Or Sue Johnson says that what people are doing is saying, Hey, I won't let you hurt me. I'm, I need to chill out. I need to try to stay in control. That that's a lot of times what that emotional uh, response is really saying. So she said, if these strategies become front and center in the relationship, then we're liable to get stuck in what Sue Johnson calls the demon dialogues. And these dialogues can take over a relationship. She said they can create more and more resentment, caution, and distance until we reach a point where we feel the only solution is to give up and to bail out. So there are three main demon dialogues that trap couples in a no solution, emotional starvation, and insecurity. Number one, she calls it find the bad guy. This is the pattern of mutual blame. So in in find the bad guy, it can also be called the blame game. Dr. Johnson said that find the bad guy is the blame game that leads to nowhere but conflict. Because when we get locked into the, no, it's your fault. All we're going to do 
is put our brains into fight or flight mode. And as I like to say, we're going to assume our battle stations. We're going to head to our bunkers and we're just going to start hurling insults, which is, is kind of ironic because are we ultimately, what are we ultimately hoping to do? You know, throw one that if landed perfectly will bring the ceasefire. You know, well, I wouldn't be so angry if you know how to cook, you know, which he might says, oh, okay, well played. You win this round, but I'll get you next time. No. I mean, that's, that's not the goal. When we go into our, our bunkers, when we, when we run to our bunkers and start hurling insults, what is the goal? I mean, it is basically just to fight till exhaustion, till somebody finally gives in or till somebody's like, fine, you know, okay, you're right. I'm the worst person in the world. No, that, we're going to get nothing from that. So why do couples engage in this type of behavior? Uh, Dr. Johnson says that they do it to avoid talking about the real issues. If you're the blamer, then you can point the finger at the other partner and not at yourself. If your partner says to you, I really wish you would have talked to me before you punished our daughter. I've been working really hard on trying to salvage that relationship. Um, to which an unhealthy response would be, well, you're too soft on her anyway. It was time for me to let her know that we're not messing around anymore. You know, that way he doesn't have to be vulnerable and say, I'm sorry, that's on me. I didn't even think about that. I just started seeing red when she mouthed off and I just reacted. So here's the deal. EFT is going to facilitate that type of a response so that it turns into positive dialogue because he's not going to say the type of thing that if he feels like uh, she's going to respond and say, well, that's the whole problem. You never think about things that have to do with me. So again, the couple is already engaged in fight or flight mode or find the bad guy mode because then they avoid having to deal with those emotions. I see this in my office every day. People don't know how to sit and deal with the emotions so they can avoid having to deal with those emotions by pointing fingers at their partner and saying, no, no, you're at fault, not me. When we start blaming our partners feeling attacked and again, there are brain scans that show every bit of what's happening here when a partner is being attacked. Their brain goes into fight or flight, amygdala. It goes into overdrive. Prefrontal cortex shuts down. And then it's man the battle stations. And then it's try to find the best argument. So let's go back and look at that example. If the wife comes to the husband and they're called emotional bids, the emotional bid is when they are going to, the wife is going to share some of her heart. If she's going to say, Hey, I really wish that you wouldn't have reacted that way to, to our daughter. Um, you know, and, and I was really trying to, to make some ground there. She and I have a really strained relationship and I just, I really, I really am, I, I worry that what you, you've done is kind of undone some of the things that I've tried to do. Um, if, if we're in this EFT model, that's her emotional bid. She's putting her heart out. She's, she's trusting her husband that her husband's going to show up and be there for her, that he's going to want to hear her, know her and, and just hear everything that she has to say. So his job at that point is what I like to say, turn off his fixing and judgment brain and say, tell me more. Hey, tell me about that relationship with, with our daughter. Tell me what the big challenge has been. Tell me the struggles. You know, tell me the things that you've been doing that maybe I'm not even aware of. And, and then again, his job is to seek first to understand before him being understood. When he hears that and he, and he validates her and he says, I really appreciate you sharing that with me. And I know that takes a lot for you to open up. And I wasn't even aware of some of that. But, you know, then she feels hurt. She feels validated. Then he can share his truth. He can share, I just was so frustrated. You know, I heard her say those things to you. And and I just, I get so angry because I care about you. And I worry about if we just let her say whatever she's going to say. I, I find myself worrying that she's going to end up being like my older sister, you know, who now is is uh, is, is a bit of a train wreck. And, and so I just see those things and I just react. And so I'm so sorry. And, and now at that point, the wife is listening with empathy. No, I get it. I understand. I'm just, you know, we can do better. We, let's do this together. And now that's a whole different conversation 
than the way that I showed it a minute ago, where she puts it out like, you know, man, way to go. You blew it. Way to, way to yell at our daughter. You know, you just undid all the things I've done. And if he's like, well, you know, you're so soft that that's why she talks the way she does. What is the goal? You know, to just break the other person's will? Um, that's not going to get us anywhere. So, uh, you know, if a partner hears, hey, I'm so sorry, that's my fault. That, that amygdala does not go into that uh, release the stress hormone mode and your prefrontal cortex doesn't shut down. The brain actually kind of lights back up. It's kind of like, hey, all right, we can logically talk about this. When we're locked into a find the bad guy, the, the, one, that emotion, the, the one that emotionally disengages or shuts down usually does so for self-preservation. It's this natural response for the blame partner to divert negative attention away from himself or herself as a way to cope. Uh, with this, the ongoing relationship distress. So uh, Dr. Johnson says the big problem is that over the months and years, when our partner comes in and says, how was your day? The other partner says, well, what's that supposed to mean? To which the person who initiated the conversation can now say, gee, sorry for asking how your day was, right? The find the bad guy dialogue starts to become such an automatic interaction that that leads to these, this insecure bonding in couples. And before you know it, they feel like they can't talk about anything. So as a therapist, my job is to teach a couple to come from a new level of communication that encourages language that creates safety or trust or willingness to take ownership of past behaviors. Semantics become so important. You know, you have to turn statements from the you never to, hey, um, you know, I feel like we have a challenge with this. So let's, let's go back into an example of that again. If the wife is putting out this emotional bit, hey, you're always, I feel like you're distant when you get home from work. Or let me kind of reframe that. If typically she's like, Man, uh, when you come to work or when you come home from work, I just feel like you're a real bear. Like, I don't even want to be around you. You're such a pain. You know, you're so angry to if instead of she's like, hey, um, I'm glad you're home. But man, tell me about your day. I feel like when you get home, you aren't quite ready to talk. You know, that is a whole different ballgame than, hey, uh, well, you're home. Are you going to yell at everybody again? So you can see how the semantics really become important. The second demon dialogue is called the protest polka. Psychologists knew for years that this demand withdrawal dance leads to divorce, but they weren't actually able to figure out why it's so widespread and so deadly. So Dr. Johnson says that we now understand that these potent emotions and compelling needs keep this pattern going. The wired-in need for emotional connection and the fear of rejection and abandonment. That is what keeps this protest polka going. So even if our brains know that we're somehow making things worse by criticizing or shutting our partner out, sometimes we can't just switch off this longing and fear. She goes on to say, the more he refuses to talk to me or dismisses my feelings, the angrier I get and the more I poke at him. Um, says she, she is talking about a client uh, named Mia. Um, anything just to get a response from him. And I think that's what we see. That's what we almost resort to these behaviors that we use as, as children, where anything, I will push his buttons just to get a response. And then her partner Jim picks up and says, and the more I hear that angry tone in her voice, the more I just hear that I can never please her. I just get hopeless. I get more silent. And so it's this spiral that's the enemy, not the other partner, Though neither partner recognizes this. Um, in this example, Dr. Johnson says that Mia is the protesting, Mia is protesting Jim's distance. And Jim is frantically trying to avoid her disapproval. So they talk this way because they sense an alarming answer to the attachment question, are you there for me? In the protest polka, each person, in an attempt to deal with their sense of emotional disconnection, unwittingly confirms that the other's worst fears and keeps this spiral going. In the end, the demanding protesting partner begins to give up the struggle for connection, grieve the relationship, and start to move away. And this leads to what she calls the last dance of all, the freeze and flee. In this dance, both partners feel helpless. 
Nobody is reaching for anyone here. Nobody is willing to take any risks. And I understand. Everybody's run for cover. In other relationships, this might be fine for a while. But when the people we love, when we're in the, with the people we love, this no response dance becomes excruciating. And, and in fact, the partners here aren't really dancing at all. They're kind of sitting it out. So we're not wired to tolerate this kind of isolation. That's when we go back into this primal panic. If nothing changes, then the relationship is in a free fall. Um, Sue Johnson says, when folks are caught in these demon dialogues, when they come in and they ask, is there any hope for us? She tells them, sure there is. When we understand what the drama of love is all about and what our needs and fears are, then we can help each other step out of these negative dialogues and more into positive loving conversations that will bring us into each other's arms and, and safely home. So I, I want you to just kind of think about how do you communicate with your partner? You know, do you immediately go into one of these demon dialogues, the, the freeze and flee, the find the bad guy, the protest polka? Or if your partner says, I'm man, I, I am so frustrated right now. Do you kind of say, hey, tell me more? It, well, this is a safe place. You know, do you come at your partner with empathy? So I want to try to just make this as simple as I can. Remember this concept of an emotional bid. Your partner didn't wake up in the morning and say, how can I hurt, how can I hurt my, uh, my spouse? No, if they're saying, if they come home and they say, hey, I'm, I'm really uh, kind of fearful about, uh, about our relationship. I feel, like, I feel like we're not connected. You know, instead of saying, well, we would be more connected if you weren't such a jerk. Where's that one going to go, right? But if your partner says to you, hey, I, can we talk? I'm, I'm worried about our relationship. That's their emotional bid. They're being vulnerable and they're putting out part of their heart. I need you to see that as an opportunity to connect with your partner. Even if your partner comes and says, I can't believe you you just did that. Whatever that is, I can't believe you just yelled at our son. Instead of you going, well, you know, uh, if you would have backed me up, then I wouldn't have done it. If you can, If you can get out of your bunker... If you can then be the one that your partner is, you recognize, man, if she's saying, I can't believe you just yelled at her son, I need to, I need to be able to sit with this emotion and I need to be able to say, Hey, you're right. You know, uh, I, I'm not quite sure what happened there. You know, I appreciate you bringing that to my attention. I didn't wake up this morning with the goal of getting angry with our son. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. You know, I need you to help me find my blind spots. Where, where did that start? And then, you know, that's where now we're going to get to some productive conversations. Maybe she's going to say, well, I really, I really notice, or I feel like when you get home from work, I feel like you're agitated. You know, tell me more about that. You know, if he knows it's a safe place and it might be, yeah, I, I don't feel like I really truly decompress on my way home because I worry that when I get home that there's, there's just going to be a whole lot of chaos going. I worry that I don't know what to do to help. You know, I worry that when I get home that I, I feel like at times you're frustrated. You know, and if, and if the, 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 say the wife is the one at home, if she says, man, I appreciate you sharing that. No, I can understand because I am, I am frustrated because I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm just by myself all day. I feel like maybe you're not thinking about me during the day. I feel like I, I just would love to just have a, a quick text or maybe even a quick phone call to know that you care about me. You know, now we're opening up. We're having dialogue. We're not, we're not just attacking each other because we're so hurt because ultimately, you know, Sue Johnson says it best. We are designed to have a, an attachment with another person. And so when we, when we marry, our goal is to find our partner, our secure attachment, so we have the safe place to come back and process 
the ups and downs, the highs and the lows. That's the goal of a secure attachment. Let me try to just do one more real example. And and this is one that happened a while ago. I had jotted it down. I couldn't wait to share this. So I've been doing some EFT work with a couple. And and let's just say that, uh, and they were, they're doing amazing. They're doing amazing at this point. And so they would just kind of bring these, 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 they call them raw spots in EFT. And they brought a raw spot in and said, Hey, let's process this. So they, they had had a, a they've had a hectic, uh, um, few years with uh, just some of the, the, the job that maybe, let's just say the job the husband's in. There's a lot of, it's almost like he's just on call all the time. So they really look forward to connecting on Sunday mornings. And so the husband had, had thought that they were on the same page, that every Sunday morning at a certain point they were going to connect. So, and, and that's a key point to just say he thought that every Sunday morning that it was kind of assumed that they would get together and connect because they had done that in the past. So when Sunday mornings would roll around and if and if his wife didn't make time to connect with him then he felt not heard he felt like he didn't matter so we brought this up in therapy and I loved it because he put out this emotional bid I feel like I feel like when you know I feel like we were on the same page that on Sunday mornings we would connect and the wife then says man thanks for bringing this to my attention um tell me more about that that must be hard if you feel like I'm I'm ignoring you or I'm not there for you and, and, and when he felt heard or validated, then she was able to share, hey, I remember that as well. But I feel like there were enough times where, where the Sunday morning connection didn't necessarily happen because, you know, you had other things going on. So I felt like it wasn't as important to you. And so at this point, we've got two people that both assumed that the other person didn't necessarily care about this time for connection. So, so already we, we kind of got somewhere there. And then the discussion was made that, man, why don't we try to touch base earlier in the week and make sure that we don't have anything going on so we can connect. And then once they felt heard, we got to a deeper level of EFT. This was where things got really, really just brilliant. Then it was a, hey, tell me what connection looks like. And at first the, the guy felt like, what do you, like, how do you not know what I, what I want or what I need from connection? And so at first, like, we have emotions, we have feelings. And then again, she validates his feelings or emotions. That must be hard if you feel like, you know, that I don't know how to connect. I, I, I understand. But, you know, when she gets into her truth, when she shares that, but I feel like there are times where I feel like I'm connecting with you, but I don't think that it's, it's appreciated. Or I feel like there's times where I've thought, oh, this is how he likes to connect. And then you haven't been as present. And then he has empathy there. Man, tell me, okay, tell me what those times are. And they, they kind of organically came to this, uh, almost a scaling model that I thought it was so, so just powerful. Um, where she's at one point laying on his chest, right? And she says, Hey, so tell me, is this, what do you feel like? Do you feel like on a scale of, or, or is this connection? And he says, Well, you know what? On a scale of one to 10, this for me is a one or a two. And, and at first, you know, you can tell that when she's telling the story, she almost feels like, what? You know, I'm laying on your chest. It's like a, it's the morning. You know, we don't have anything going on, no responsibilities. And then she said, this for me is an, an eight out of 10 for connection. And he's like, man, okay, thanks for sharing that with me. To me, it's a one or a two because I feel like connection is when we're, when we're looking at each other eye to eye, when we're engaged in conversation. And so they both have their own individual experiences that they bring into that moment, they bring into that relationship. So just to be able to have these conversations, you can see where this went from, you know, we're not even talking about this, this connection that we no longer have that each of us thought that the other person didn't care about to now we're talking about, Hey, what does connection look like for you and why? Let's go kind of back into your, you know, your, your history. Um, why, why does that feel like connection? What are other examples of connection? You know, is just sitting in the same room together watching TV. Does that feel like a connection? 
because for one of them growing up, they, they didn't see that model very often. So they feel like, hey, if we're just in the same room together hanging out, man, that's beautiful. I never saw my parents do that. The other person maybe grew up in a home where, oh, we had plenty of that, but nobody ever talked. So to me, that's not connection. That's our goal. That's where we're getting to with EFT. All right. I didn't want this to go as long. I'm going to wrap things up now. But if you've listened this long, please do me a favor. And if you have raw spots, if you have examples of conversations that that you feel like you would love for me to address or frame in an emotionally focused or EFT model, please shoot me an email at contact at tonyoverbay.com. I would love to do maybe even a quick bonus episode, especially over the next few weeks as we're spending more time with our partners to be able to really show what this EFT model looks like. So I would love examples to contact at tonyoverbay.com. And feel free to share this episode with a friend, a couple, if you, uh, you know, if you have married children, but somebody that you feel like it would just be nice to have this, this EFT model just start to be understood or even just to have in the back of your mind. And if your marriage is in trouble, go get help. Find a good marriage therapist that speaks fluent, emotionally focused therapy. There are other uh, couples models, but I highly recommend someone that is, is does couples therapy often, regularly, and has a very evidence-based modality like EFT. All right. Um, I will see you next time on the virtual couch. I haven't, I haven't sent us away properly in a while, but Aurora Florence, who, who sings the song, It's Wonderful, that I end most of my podcasts with, she has, she had a Kickstarter a while ago, and I'd mentioned it at one point. The show is called The, the Anxious Taxidermist. And please, I will start putting some links up. I, I need to have her back on the show, but, uh, it is, it is about to be released. And I got to see, uh, anyway, it, it, The Anxious Taxidermist is coming soon. Um, it, you know, it's, it's as fun as it sounds. It's an amazing, a brilliant project. And, uh, I can't wait to, until you'll hear more about that in the not too distant future. But this is Aurora Florence singing the song, It's Wonderful. Have a great day. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most It's wonderful I have to wonder
explode Allow the understanding through To heal the legs and hearts you broke The pain is wonderful The sheep rock walls just might implode Upon my mental strengths and powers I'm trying hard to shove them 